Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today, I am putting my trust in my original co-host, Paul Hoppy, as he, I, and Ashley Coffin discuss, well, whatever the hell's on his mind. I'm going to have about as much control over what happens as Tony Stark does over Ultron, just like I have no control over these ads. Welcome back to today's episode of Superhero Ethics. We're talking about anti-canon and uh, a couple of stories that are non-canonical, uh, specifically Gotham by Gaslight and Superman Red Sun, uh, the film versions or the animated feature versions. Uh, with me today is Matthew Fox, who you've just heard, and Ashley Coffin. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm really good. I'm here for the ride. I don't know what we're talking about, which is why I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in kind of a similar place. I, I have some idea, Paul. This was a fun idea that you and I have been bouncing around. And frankly, when you said you wanted to le- take the lead, I was like, sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to where you can take us and kind of having a week off. <laughs> it's it's nice being a passenger. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can say well, from experience, but I, I'm kind Paul, of looking forward you, to flying this Paul, that means today. you're editing this podcast, right? Ooh. Wait, what now? <laughs> I heard something about some kind of software that I don't think I have access to, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to uh, punt on that one. Fair um, enough, fair enough. We're just so, the talent, uh, Paul. We're just the talent. Right, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have someone else fix it in post. <laughs> okay, so this episode was inspired by a couple of previous podcasts, actually. Uh, one uh, from from Superhero Ethics. Uh, one which featured Matthew Carroll and Jeff Randall, where he talked about canon. Somewhere I have written down like the titles of these things, but whatever. It, you know, it's uh, I'll, oh, have, I'll have the links to all of them in the show notes. Yeah, no, I I do have it written. The exact title. It was good. Oh, the value and danger of canon. And I feel like you talked more about the value of canon, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Mentioned, uh, you know, sort of uh, lampshade or talked a little bit about the danger of canon. I want to kind of lean more into that latter part. Um, and then also you did a podcast on um, Red Sun Zenith, I believe, is the title of the, the podcast. And, and I guess the original media, which is the uh, comic books or the graphic novel that the film is somewhat based on. And we'll get into kind of how those two uh, versions, how the adaptation is different maybe from this alternate reality Superman story. Right. And then um, there was also something that Zack Snyder said somewhere about canon that kind of uh, kind of <laughs> set me off on this a little bit. And I, I don't mean to pick on Zack Snyder. Uh, I actually think he makes a really good point that I sort of disagree with. And we'll, we'll get to that. But it, not necessarily that so much that he's wrong, but um, kind of I have a little bit of a different take on it. But I wanted to uh, sort of open by just a couple of definitions. And I think Matt Carroll gave a really interesting definition of canon on the episode you all did together, which is that canon equals consequences. And I really appreciate that definition, but I personally have a a little bit more limited and technical division, which is uh, canon being a set of stories and facts that are declared by some governing entity, maybe the writer, maybe the studio, to coexist and establish a hopefully cohesive timeline or set of timelines. 
And uh, since since I and uh, listeners of the podcast have have heard Matthew discuss this uh, subject for a couple hours with uh, Matt and <laughs> Jeff, um, which I enjoyed, I listened to the whole thing, which I don't listen to all of every podcast. Um, I go for long walks, though. It's great for podcast listening. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to see, uh, Ashley, if you have any kind of thoughts on on Canon, its value, things you like about it, maybe some things that you dislike about it. Canon, see, stuff with Canon is what can also make a toxic fandom. Mm. I'm, I love it when it happens and it happens well. But I feel like with Marvel being disassociated with like the Fox universe and the television, like Daredevil, Jessica Jones kind of universe, I have to digress to Marvel because it's all I know. Sure. Um, when it happens, I love it and I'm super excited for it. Um, but when it's not perfect and it messes up the timeline, like to me... <sighs> It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't bother me as much as it would say Matt, <laughs> Matt Carroll. Sure, Matt Carroll. Okay. <laughs> um, but I find myself getting excited, like when it does happen, and when you can put these things together, and and the stories all add up, and uh, everything adds up to what you have already seen or heard of in stories that you already know. But I also like to be surprised. Mm-hmm. So if they deviate from canon sometimes to make the story more interesting for people who already know the story, like it's fun to know the story, but it's also fun to be surprised. Right. Like so many of these things that we watch and talk about are adaptations from some written medium, right? Or some yeah. other visual paper medium. And so if you know it's going to track exactly like the, I think the early Harry Potter books were often um, or the early Harry Potter movies were sometimes criticized as being too faithful to the books. Mm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And then as it went on, they kind of got their own thing going. So maybe there's a little bit more suspense, whether it's going to track exactly or or you're going to be surprised a little. Yeah. Like when. Oh, go ahead, Matthew. Okay. And this is actually interesting because. Um. This came up in the discussion of the most recent episode of The Stand that Ashley and I just did. The Harry Potter movies, I think, are – it's not even just that they're too faithful. It's that they're what one reviewer described as the amusement park ride version of canon. Because oh, okay. it's not that it goes into the points. It's just that it says, oh, hey, look, there's that character. and Oh, hey, look, there's that character. And it's so that the people who – you know, it's kind of like all Easter eggs without any depth to it. Uh, right. Which I think all, is all Easter eggs but no into. chocolate yeah. or something. Yeah. Or- it's like Lord of the Rings. It's like when Lord of the Rings movies took out Tom Bombadil. Like, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and when when you talk about the, the sort of tech, toxic, not, not that there's a toxic nature to canon, but that sometimes it's um, sort of, I think, kind of weaponized by sort of gatekeeper fans. Is that kind of what you're, you're talking yeah. about sometimes? Yeah, yeah. It's just, like if you don't do exactly like look at WandaVision, for example. Paul, are you right. watching WandaVision? I am. I have a lot to say about oh, it, but I, I won't say that much do. about it right now. I bet you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are things that are happening that in several different comic lines happen exactly the way that they're laying it out. And mm-hmm. as much as I want to be right with my fan theory and, and stuff that I'm saying on uh, like the MCU podcast, I also just want to be surprised, too. It's kind right. of like Civil War when they introduced uh, Sharon Carter. Ken does mm. my my husband doesn't want to know any spoilers. So when they introduced right. her character in um, Winter Soldier and brought her back in Civil War, I was terrified for Captain America, terrified the whole time. Mm. Um, but they didn't do it, and I was very happy with that. Like they didn't finish out the Civil War timeline with what she does. If you want to do it, go read the comics. Um, right. Yeah. So I was like really happy with that. Like keep surprising me. 
you know, you don't have to always be canon. But when you throw it in there and it works, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, the Civil War comic is is a great example where I remember reading the Civil War comic and be like, mm, I don't really like this. Yeah. And then seeing the movie. And actually, at the time, I didn't love the movie. But uh, on rewatching, I, I think I love it. I think it's great. Oh, and I'm really happy that they didn't go exactly with the canon. They kind of went with the spirit of the stories, but right. mm-hmm. um, but they adapted it into a way that made sense in the MCU and gave us something different. And for me, like, if we can have something that, you know, we're like, oh, I guessed this and I guessed this, but then this other thing surprised me. That's kind of like, almost like a perfect kind of mix, exactly. you know, where you kind of get to feel vindicated in spots, but then you also get to be, <laughs> you know, feel surprised. It's perfect. That's a perfect way to explain it. And I think this is a good time as part of the definitions to talk about how there are different levels of canon. And I think the MCU is a perfect example in that trying to say what is the canonical version of a comic book character, which have often been reset over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah, and like, retconned, you know, if you will. Yeah, retcons and just changes and differences is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And so for me, there's a very big difference between the idea of what is canonical to a Marvel character in all of the iterations versus what's canonical, say, to the MCU? Yes. You know, that I think one of the things about a universe is saying that we're going to try to say that within this set universe, we're going to be somewhat canonical to other existing things and sometimes not. And sometimes we're going to update to, like, the spirit, if not the details, which is a whole other part of canon I, I think we can talk about. But that it's going to try to be internally canonical, if not necessarily to everything else. And I think that that's – it's one of the things that we all, like. So, for example, like talking about like Marvel versus DC versus, um, you know, Star Wars, for example, the three that I think we most often talk about. Yeah. There's so many others. It's very different conversations. You know, Marvel is saying with their MCU, we're doing this whole one thing. Mm-hmm. DC is saying, look, we've got the TV stuff over here. It's canonical to itself. We've got – the movies over here, they're canonical to their, themselves, and maybe other things are different, you know? So it's like, I think it's important to kind of both, you know, I have a canonical understanding of who my idea of Batman is, and I want other things to fit into that, but I also think it's important to remember what is the creator saying, like, what's the commitment to canon that they're making, and then holding them to that standard, not necessarily to all of the canon that's ever been. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I would... I would argue that there are you know that the canon of the mcu is one canon right and then that the comic books or certain lines of comic books even because i i think uh you know there's the whole ultimate whatever line of 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 books and i and it seems like you know there's there's like sometimes there's different whether whether there's a whole set of things that go and then they kind of like reboot everything like dc did with the new 52 um you know, each one of those things is kind of like its own canon. And then you can have a whole, you can start a whole, you know, separate canon, basically, and have a lot of the same characters. And then what they often do is they have some huge, um, you know, uh, multiverse explanation for how, how everything's like really connected. And I think that can be work. Uh, that that can work and can be cool, but this this um this brings us pretty nicely to the Zack Snyder not quote because I I couldn't find the exact quote and I I think that his thoughts on it are actually very interesting, but there's there's one thing that that he says that I think sets up sort of uh, my big view here, which is uh, he he says that um, 
basically when a story is not part of the canon, when it's not part of this big interconnected universe, that it feels unimportant to people. That like what matters in it or what happens in it doesn't really matter in the same way as something that happens like like something that happens in the MCU might matter to people differently than something that happens in like a what if story, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's true. That's an observation that things can feel less important to people because they're not part of this larger canon. But um, I think this desire to make everything interrelated all the time, <laughs> um, like basically taking all these different canons and smushing them together and be like, no, they're just different realities of whatever. Um, to me, I, that I would call that toxic canonicity, which is different from like toxifying canon to like weaponize it against people i mean that the actual idea of all those things being canon with one another because they're like alternate universes in the same multiverse um i actually find fairly toxic because it means like watching one story it's like everything else that happens in every story that they're then linking to that also happens not in that world or that universe but in that multiverse um and i find that takes away a little bit from a story's um, sort of its uniqueness and its ability to stand on its own in some ways. Yeah, man, Pa, I really like listening to you talk. Oh, thank you. I, <laughs> I at the end of that, I was like, I probably should end this with a question. Um, I'm not used to hosting. I'm used to just like, yep, yeah, that's my thoughts. I mean, it's helpful because actually, all three of us quite enjoy listening to Paul talk. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're making a really good point there, and it's funny because when I think of this. Two of my absolute favorite Marvel movies and two that I think are the most important are uh, Into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. and Big Hero 6. Oh, neither yeah. of which is in any way connected to the MCU canon. What? Um, and I kind of feel like that's part of what I like about them. And yeah. that you're right. I, to me, I think one of the things that I like so much about c- these characters is that in many times, in many ways, they've become sort of archetypes, you know, beyond just a singular character. And here's a way in which I think something like the comic books are actually quite distinct from um, uh, Star Wars, for example. You know, Luke Skywalker was present at this particular moment of the Star Wars history. He was not present at, you know, he was at the Battle of Endor. He was not, you know, with Han when Han was, you know, um, being freed by Jabba. Whatever it is, these, these are kind of just things that we know. Whereas someone like Batman or Superman... In that other episode you talked about, I talk about the difference between the canon of details versus the canon of the, the like the, the spirit of the thing. You know, for right. me, the story of Batman is that his parents are killed by a mugger. He he witnesses it when he's a young child. It he's brought up in this life of privilege, and he decides to use his privilege to make sure that other little boys and girls and children don't have what happened to him. You know, to to fight crime. Right. Whether that happened, you know. Whether it's a guy who's actually named Joe Chill and whether it's an actual, like, the pearls go flying. God, please don't show us the pearls. Oh, no more with the pearls. Enough Um, with the pearls. (laughs) But even, like, you know, whether it's an opera or whether it's, like, a movie theater, you know, I don't think those things matter. I think you can modernize them as the story goes on. Mm -hmm. and Or antiquify. (laughs) Right, you know. Never mind. um, I'm doing all the self-promotion here, but to give another example... Um, uh, another episode I recently put up was about the history of comic books with Jessica mm, yeah. Plummer, and we did a whole thing on the Silver Age. 
and we're talking about how the the characters of the X-Men were written. And we now think of like a fundamental part of Magneto's story is that he was, you know, a child of the Holocaust and that that's what really showed him that, you know, the world doesn't believe in never again and that if your people are being oppressed, you have to fight to defend your people. Mm -hmm. That's not an original part of the story, but by now it's a fundamental part of the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you want to tell a story about a Magneto who is in 2021 in his 40s or 50s or somewhere around there, he can't have been born in the Holocaust. He can't have lived through the Holocaust. He was just too old. So we were discussing, I've heard Matt and Jeff discuss this as well, the idea of what if Magneto and Professor X are both from South Africa and they Mm -hmm. both grew up under apartheid or, you know, whatever it is. There's all kinds of issues about, like, you don't want to lose a Jewish character and and things like that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, like, the truth of Magneto is that he experienced horrible oppression, which informs the way he thinks about how mutants are treated. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be World War II. Right. And I think that's the kind of example of, to me, like, if you make Magneto a shiny, happy guy who's never experienced a problem, now you've broken canon. Right. But if you make right. it apartheid or, you know, Vietnamese oppression or anything or like something in the Middle Ages instead of the Holocaust, that all can still fit the story. Mm-hmm. Shiny, happy Magneto. I'm just I'm just <laughs> stuck shiny, on that. Happy Magneto people. <laughs> like a really shiny helmet and just a big smile, like a Joker smile. No. God, I love um, Magneto. <laughs> Me too. He's he's one of my If I could have characters. one superpower, it would be his. Of all the superpowers, it's definitely Magneto's. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if if uh, Wolverine's always trying to chase you down. Yeah, that but... little scoundrel. <laughs> I I would go with Wolverine's actually. Really? Not the adamantium thing. Just the like never dying and aging and and you know. I just whatever. feel like, like I would yeah, be able to yeah. like invulnerability rip off of yes, enough yes. ATMs to stay, you know, to have the life that I want. When people cut me off in traffic, I would make them literally disappear into dust, you know. <laughs> wow, this this got dark fast. I'm just um, saying what I would do with the. Yeah, <laughs> I would no love, fair, uh, fair. I would love it. They would cut. They Note would catch we didn't on stipulate. So if you had these powers, would you be a superhero or a supervillain? So, right. I mean, it depends on your definition. I, I see myself as more like a rogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. <laughs> they live in for me. <laughs> Do not cut me off. <laughs> Any radioactive spiders out there, please don't bite Ashley. Oh, please she don't cannot bite me, bite me, bite me, bite me. This power. No. Unlimited power. I'm right, enjoying well, this because it's not my job to pull us back onto the main topic, Right, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I gotta, I'll keep going. I gotta. I okay, so in, instead of getting into the whole great responsibility <laughs> thing, um, I, my my first question that I actually was going to, you know, finish the, the whole rant, but then I was like, ah, there, I have spoken. But um, is is uh, if a story is not part of an interconnected universe, do you feel like it matters less? Or maybe does it matter differently? Hmm. No, I appreciate okay. really good storytelling. So if you can, you know, create your own little pocket universe over here and it goes well with thoughts already going, then you do. I don't know. You do you, baby. Yeah, and I, I would say something like that. And I think the way it matters can differ wildly based on how it connects, you know, because I... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For me, the good side of canon, the good side of a connected universe is that we get to say, let's keep taking these same questions and explore them in different ways. So, you know, like 
the, for Batman, the line of what's the difference between justice and vengeance? Like, we can play with Batman and put him in all these different settings and you still get to that same question. And to use two of the examples I brought up before, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, to me, it has nothing to say about actual, like, this version of, of Peter Parker that we have in the MCU. But it does raise some really great questions, you know, of, like, what... What kind of diff- what could the Spider Verse look like? What is a Black Spider Man like, and how how important is that? Doc Ock. Why does Doc Ock have to be a guy? <clears throat> how can mm-hmm. we play with that in a different way? Mm-hmm. Big Hero Six to me is, I mean, it's not connected in any way. It's none of the same characters, but it's still playing with the same themes. And I feel like, except for Stanley, right? Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> Stanley is still the same thing. Um, but Big Hero Six to me still has a lot to say about superheroes and how do we become heroes and what's the role of heroes and what's the role of violence versus compassion and justice and avenging and all this kind of stuff and i feel like i watch the rest of the mcu and the dc universe in different ways because of big hero six so to Mm. me like that's how both of them are and and the same way like a story like we're going to talk about later where you take batman and put him in a very different setting or superman or anyone like that they're not part of the canon but they're very important to me because they Here's actually, I'll give you a different definition. To me, canon is a conversation. And canon is about, you know, if I talk to you about how great um, uh, trees are, and for you the word tree means a ham sandwich, we can't have a com- conversation, you know? We we Which, really can't. No, like... Especially and, not Paul. Well, yeah, that too. But to me, a... I mean, I hate Although, trees. you know what? Ham trees <laughs> are a hand sandwich for me. Oh, because God. when I eat something that I consider a hand sandwich, it's made of trees. There Gross. Okay. <laughs> the bar- if, look, I got to bake more bread for you if bark is bread. But anyway, um, the, the point being, you can't have a conversation without a shared set of understandings that you're both building off of. Or that you're all building off of. And I right. think canon kind of can be thought of in the same way. And so for me, yeah, Big Hero 6 isn't MCU canon. But it's part of the – I wouldn't even say – I don't, like, say it's superhero canon, but it's it's part of the superhero discussion in a way that makes right. it for me just – like, to me, that's a much more relevant movie to how I feel about the MCU than, like, <laughs> Thor The Dark World. I didn't right. – I don't know. I didn't see that movie. Is it a kid's movie? I'd say Thor The Dark World. I don't think it means to be a kid's you, movie, but it's about talk, as dumb as a kid's movie. Is it animated? Talking about – Oh, I thought I you were know. talking about Big Hero 6. I no, am. she is. I just wanted to dunk on she Thor is. 2 a little bit more. <laughs> no, I, I, Everybody has fabulous <laughs> costumes yeah. and hair in Thor the Dog World. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing in Thor the Dark World is probably one of my favorite things in WandaVision. But that's a... Uh, we won't get into spoilers for that. Well, but if you know, you know. <laughs> to answer actually your question, um, yeah, Big Hero 6 is animated. It's based on a cartoon and, and it's set in this world of San Francisco. We're yeah. supposed to be kind of like a melding of San Francisco and Tokyo. So like Firefly. Ish. Ish. I mean, not really. More like Batman Beyond. But yesterday we were talking about Batman Beyond and how it's kind of like Firefly. So yeah. <laughs> just in terms of like um, in the future, you know, having more kind of integration of cultures okay. and more, right. you know, Asian culture being integrated into American or kind of Western culture. Got it. Which seems yeah, inevitable. It, it's an animated movie. It has nothing to do with the MCU, but it's, okay. I think, one of the best superhero movies ever made. I love I it. also highly recommend it, so check it out. Um, but it is animated, so... I'll do you my know, best. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> see, see what you can do. See what you can do. Um, 
Yeah, I, I like all of those thoughts. Um, I, I pretty much exactly agree with, with what you were saying, Ashley. And, um, also I, I, um, what you were saying, Matthew, I think kind of leads into, uh, my next question was sort of how much room, um, do we think, you know, a writer director should have to change or kind of alter an iconic character i mean any character yeah sure but like particularly um you know characters that are that we've seen in like really big movies or really big stories like you know maybe sherlock holmes or you know batman or luke or um ahsoka or you know where she's maybe less iconic in the broader um you know world right right Although right. hopefully after uh, after her series maybe she'll she'll get to you know a little <laughs> further along in the um, but yeah I mean do you, do you feel like writers and directors can or should just kind of like do whatever they want with any characters and I'm I'm speaking more outside of um, some kind of like okay if you're in the MCU and you take over Thor. Um, you know, I, I think we can all agree that there's a certain responsibility to, like, act like the previous movies happened, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can take the character various different ways, and I, I think they clearly have. But, um, you know, th- there it, there are certainly some limits there. But in, in something like, uh, you know, the, the things we're going to discuss, um, that's like a clear alternate reality kind of thing or like enter the spider-verse right i mean they have a very different peter parker there um do you know do you think that that a writer or director has some kind of responsibility to keep certain aspects of a character the same or uh, how much freedom do you think they should have in in doing these things i feel like brian singer should have half of his princess points stripped away because of what he did to the (laughs) x-men Oh. <laughs> um, because those movies are so hard for me to watch because I grew up on the X-Men over the Avengers. Like, I loved the X-Men. Yeah. And he, 50% of the characters in that were fine. Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. was a great Wolverine. Michael Faster, like Fassbender, like, I can't picture anybody else playing Magneto but him. And uh, James McAvoy as Charles not, Xavier. Not Ian McKellen? <laughs> yeah, Ian McKellen's I mean, like, excuse I'm me. sorry. I'm just thinking about my fantasy from earlier. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart are the perfect older versions of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But then you have like the other half, like Mystique. It's like, no, she doesn't have scales. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Who told you to do that? Like nobody told you to do that. <laughs> I don't know. There, he he's one of those ones. It's like when rogue they do fifty fifty. Yeah, broke. Ugh, don't even get me started. Um, it's like if you're what? gonna do it, do it right. And if you're not gonna do it, don't like decide like, well, I'm just gonna change this part. It doesn't make sense. See, I think so. Yes, part of right. what it gets to is that I think what we look to as canon is going to be so different because. Mm. Like, Ashley, you know I've had this conversation a lot. You're a much more aesthetically minded person than I am. A much more visual person than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Mystique, the both versions are like some of the best Mystique that I've ever seen. Because I don't care if she, like, the what her the, like physical appearance is is nowhere near as important to me as the heart of a character in that way. Uh, which I don't think either one's bad. I think it's it's an important way of saying, like, what each of us views as canon is often going to vary wildly based on what's important to us. Right. What if you go with canon on Mystique, like that Mystique we see in the X-Men movies, that's not Mystique. The way she acts, what she does, like that's not her. I feel like Mystique in different, um, 
different stories is as different as she looks from like one day to the next right. in terms of like she yeah. she sometimes I don't know. Like I I mean I I've most I I've read some comics, but I've I've seen a lot of like all the animated series mm-hmm. and I feel like she behaves very differently in different animated series mm-hmm. and I mean even the two mystiques, right? In in the Brian Singer verse um you know the right. the younger the, the Jennifer Lawrence mystique is very different mm-hmm. from And I just want to use that as an example. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds sure, on that yeah, particular yeah. one. Um <laughs> But, but I, I think we got to the bottom of uh, Ashley definitely has strong feelings about what and what what a writer or director can or can't do. I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess for me, I feel like there's two things. One is the scale on which they're writing is a huge thing. Um, right. If you're writing fan fiction, do whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. If you're writing an individual comic book that is one of 30 different versions of the character that are going to come out this year... I'm pretty okay if you do almost anything you want. And then it goes higher and higher. And so, like, yeah. things like the two movies we're going to discuss are, to me, in kind of a middle place. All the way up to, if this is your, like, big tentpole billion-dollar movie that's the only version of the character we're going to get to see on the big screen in the world when the big screens exist again. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I feel like the, the higher you go there, the more responsibility you have. And, and to me, though, and, and again, I'm kind of going back to this theme – for me, what I'm always fascinated about is to say, take the heart of a character and put that character in a different circumstances and say, how would this same person act? And so to ask, like, how would Batman act in a campy world or in a, you know, world that's all about being a detective or in a world that's much more focused on, like, the super high tech? As long as it's the core of that character, I'm in. I'm interested. Yeah. It, it's to me when it gets to that point of, like, I want people to ask the question of what would Superman do in this fundamentally different setting? But then even if you have to convince me that there's at least a chance that your answer is correct, even if I disagree, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. if you say if it's a problem, like, okay, I can see why you think Superman in that setting would do that thing. Great. If it's like Superman's acting in ways that just unless there was an S on his chest, no one would think this is Superman. That's when I'm like, yeah, you should be doing better than that. Right. I th- I think you make a really fair point about sort of the scope of the media kind of, uh, I guess we got back to with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> anyway, but, <laughs> you know, but like the, the bigger the scope kind of the more responsibility there is where, um, you know, making something that's that's going to be seen by maybe billions of people, certainly like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, and that it's going to be their one visual representation of this character for a long period of time um, has a different weight than like, oh yeah, I, I wrote this, you know, this alt-reality like Batman fan fiction and I'm sharing it online with like a few dozen friends or something. Right. Um, to me, so there, there's a couple of instances uh, that I, I wanted to mention. One was the, you know, Dark Knight and or the original, you know, the Dark Knight um, graphic novel, and then Daredevil. Also, you know, those are two characters that were much more, I don't know, kind of like I don't want to say silly, but they, they're much lighter, right? Kind of lighter-hearted characters, and then uh, they they got like huge makeovers. And the new versions of the characters kind of became like 
the new versions of the characters where if you see the Dark Knight, you know, trilogy and if you see, um, you know, Daredevil on Netflix, mm-hmm. those are definitely the newer versions of the characters and w- where they maybe didn't even really keep all of the kind of the, the same essence of the characters. Um, so, so I, I kind of feel like there are, there are times when you can take a character and really make like a sharp right turn or, or change things a lot. And potentially for the better. But, you know, sure, you can take Batman and turn him into the Dark Knight. And I feel like that makes a certain amount of sense because, you know, in the original Batman comics, it was like the weird Batman, you know? It's like supposed to be kind of mysterious and like dark and like, is he a vampire? Oh, no, he's just a guy in a, in a costume. <laughs> but like, you know, when you do it with Superman... And you're like, oh, now Superman's going to be dark and gritty. It's like, wait, 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 what? Like, <laughs> you know. I um, see. I am such a big fan of dark and gritty. Like, I love that shit. Mm-hmm. I really love it. And like, I like the whole Dark Knight series. I know a lot of people have their ifs and you know ups and downs. And I like Daredevil. Make it dark, but like, I guess like Batman vs Superman went a little too much on the dramatic side, so it got to like pretentious and boring. But, uh, yeah, give me your gritty, give me your dark. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like dark and gritty as well. I just don't like all dark and gritty. Like, I don't want a dark and gritty flash. Like, right. in the <laughs> Justice League, it's flash. like... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, lo- I love some flash and not so much some other flash. But um, <laughs> it, it, it really, like, I want the flash to be kind of the levity. Like, he doesn't have to be totally a clown all the time. Right. But, you know, you have you already have Batman. It's like, um, you know, it's like Cyclops. A lot of people don't like Cyclops. And I've actually seen a couple of really interesting X-Men stories where Cyclops is all, he's like the dark and, and grumpy one. Mm-hmm. And it's because Jean Grey just got killed, right? Yeah, so, okay, I can buy that. Right. But, like... The rest of the time, you know, so now you're telling a story where one of your main characters just got killed. Okay, it's going to be dark and gritty. Everybody's going to be bummed out. And maybe, like, Wolverine's going to be the one trying to, like, kind of pull the weight and kind of, like, get Scott to cheer up or, like, be okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an interesting story to tell. But I think the X-Men works partially because not every character is like Wolverine. You know, and if you have the Justice League and you make every character like Batman and then you make Batman like the Punisher, like you're just telling a very different <laughs> yeah. story. And, and characters work well because they have contrasts to play off, you know? And, right, exactly. In any of these stories, you still need a straight man. No, we have we well, need more queer characters. I don't mean that way, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. in like, you know, yeah. Yes, the comedic straight man. Wolverine works because he has Cyclops to play off of. And you get to see Gene kind of torn between the two. I mean, let's get away from the love triangle idea all the time. But I still, know. you understand Don't the Don't cheat point. on your husband, Gene. Don't be a bitch. They can be poly. It's okay, too. Um, <laughs> I don't think the guys were much for the poly, though. Yeah, probably not. But my point being is that, yeah, Paul, I think you're making a really good point there of you need the contrast. You know, to me, one of the reasons why Batman vs. Superman fails so badly is that I don't see the daylight between Batman and Superman. Right. Superman's fairly dark and gritty and Batman's fairly dark and gritty. I mean, granted, you're right. It's not really a... It's more Superman versus Punisher is really what that show should be. Right, yeah. But even there, I will also say, and here's to me another important caveat is, if you're going to tell me that a character in this setting would be different than what I expect them to be, 
you need to actually show me how they get from point A to point B. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and here's where I'll say that a lot of this is also affected by what's the original story versus what's presented to us. Because I did see the extended version of Batman vs. Superman, and there I think that one actually does a much better job of showing us how the death of Robin has really like affected Batman and made him into much more of a Punisher character. And so that character, like, he is still not my favorite Batman, but extended version Batman vs. Superman, I'm I accept that that is a reasonable interpretation of the Batman character mm-hmm. in a way I couldn't with the original because it did. It's like show your work, you know. I could see right. the, how the theatrical, that, yeah. The yeah. theatrical version just told us that that happened, right? And you're like, no, but that's not Batman. And then it's like, oh, right. oh, okay, no, I see how. Yeah, if if step one happened and then that would make him do this, then, okay, yeah, I can see that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, but yeah. but I can <laughs> see how that would be more. It would be less ridiculous. Um. Martha! Oh, boy. <laughs> I think the other important thing I want to jump in here with, and this is kind of going back to what we are talking about before, but I think it's fitting for all this, is we often talk about, like, well, what is the canon, you know? And yeah. I think not as much for maybe something like Star Wars or Star Trek, but especially for something like the comic books, canon is basically our favorite version of the comic, that, the, our favorite version of the character that we first saw. Right. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I know for me, Superman is Christopher Reeve's Superman. That's my yeah. canon. Until I started listening to the the Flights and Tights podcast, which Jeff Jess Plummer does, <laughs> it really goes into all the ways that that's not canonical Superman in any way, in a lot of ways. And and I think with a lot of us, it's easy to sort of say, well, you know, like what I was saying before, original Magneto is the most, like, to me, Magneto is the most sympathetic villain I know of in comic books right now. Mm-hmm. Original Magneto is, like, basically twirling a magnetic mustache if he had. Right, Like, right. he is just <laughs> completely ridiculous, over the top. It's nothing about mutant rights. It's about mutant supremacy and how terrible humans are. I mean, he's nothing like what we now think of as the canonical Magneto. Yeah. So, well, so, so I, I just want to, in terms of the word canon, like... I think the idea that there is a canonical version of a character um, is, I mean, I, I think what you're saying about it's kind of like the one that we first saw and liked, but I, I, I think I think it's flawed, the idea that there is, like, a canonical version of the character or that there is a canon, right? Like, the Superman, the Christopher Reeve Superman is the Donnerverse canonical Superman, right? right. Like, that's that's its own canon, and... I'm pretty sure Wonder Woman 84 belongs in in that verse. But, um, you know, the DCEU is its own canon, right? right. It's, 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 it's not non-canonical. It's like it's its own canon. And, you know, to, to me, like, I, I actually kind of had a, um, from watching that Batman and just hating it so much, <laughs> I, I didn't find myself being mad about it, though. Like, mm-hmm. the way that I had kind of expected to. Um, like the way maybe The Last Jedi made me mad. Um, <laughs> be- because it only connected with the other movies in its own verse, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this just isn't a particular canon that I care about because I don't really like how the characters were developed in it. I enjoyed Suicide, Suicide Squad. Um, I, I enjoyed Wonder Woman. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed Birds of Prey. Um, the rest of the movies, eh. oh, Shazam was all right, you know, but it's like, in terms of like canon, 
that particular, you know, the Snyderverse, I guess, isn't really its own canon either because they kind of deliberately were almost like, yeah, you know, each director can kind of take things how they want. Mm -hmm. And there's an extent to which I kind of think that's fine. I just don't like most of what they created. Um, But it's very different from what the MCU did. And would I have rather they made a bunch of movies with like a Batman that I like? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, and so I don't get to see a Justice League that I like for another decade or more because like it's just you know so they kind of blew their shot at making the one that I'm going to like. Yes. Right. Um well, that's that was, frustrating. That was their problem. Instead but. of just waiting it out, they tried to they're like, "Oh god, Marvel is definitely pushing their stuff harder than ours, so we have to get this out as soon as possible." But you had like a Justice League movie and you don't even have movies for the characters who are in it. So who's supposed to care at all about who these other people are? You're like, oh, cool, you got that hot guy from Game of Thrones, so some people are going to care about that. But you just, like, force-fed us a Justice League that we were not ready for. And if you would have just taken your time, everybody loved Wonder Woman. The Batfleck, he was fine. He was okay. I would have liked to see him grow a little bit more as Batman, but they just really threw it all down the drain to try to, I don't know, go bring things out as fast as Marvel. It just, uh And I don't even think this Zack Snyder Justice League cut's going to be able to save that but i am very interested mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i i have no interest in watching it but you have to, uh, you have to. i hope that it that it saves it for people and if if people watch it and love it that i you know know. i think you're kind of getting to what i was saying about the great responsibility if this yeah. was all a comic book then you just have to wait another month Right. But like you said, you're probably going to have to wait 10 more years to get – and honestly, the fact that they're going to redo Justice League in 10 years, I would say we should have to wait 50 years. But but also, no, you're right. We're going to get into the <laughs> sure. Justice League in 10 years. That's just – Well, written. I mean, we're already getting a new Batman, right? Right. Yeah, I mean – Which I was like, really? Him? And now I'm like, actually – I'm okay with Pat. Like, <laughs> Actually. I, yeah, I'm okay with him. He's broody. You know, he's got a good we'll, jawline we'll for it. We'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that you're getting to something really important there of – one of the phrases that I remember came out around that time that I think I first heard from you, I'm not sure, but it's there a lot, that I've come to love a lot more than I thought originally was not my Batman. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Because... Yeah, I... I <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to me, I feel like originally, I, th- I think that thought can be very toxic and it can be very judgmental. But it also, I think, and I, I think by the way a lot of people now use it, it, it isn't meant that way. It's, it's, it's Part of what it's saying is, I don't think that Batman is wrong because I understand I don't get to say which Batman is right or wrong. I can just say that's not my understanding of Batman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually a really good, healthy approach to canon to be able to see it as, yeah, like that's that doesn't make sense for me. I don't think that's what Batman would do, and that's not some, a Batman story I can relate to. But I don't have to yell and scream about it. I don't have to write, you know, nasty emails to Zack Snyder or any of the <laughs> awful things people do. Right. You know, I can just be like, okay, you know, I, I can be bummed because... You're right, we're not going to get another of that movie for however long a time, but it's just not my Batman. It doesn't mean that's wrong. Yeah, and I mean, you could be vocal about disliking something without being abusive. Right. <laughs> you know, like, sending, like, I don't care what you're mad about, like, don't send threatening emails to people. Like, you know, don't harass people in their right. DMs. Like, that's just a thing you shouldn't do. But, like, uh, yeah, for me, it's like, yeah, I don't really buy it as a Batman I do think if you want to make a Punisher movie, you should just make a Punisher movie. Right. But, like, 
I also am just like, you know, I spoke to some people who really loved that movie or at least liked it. And we're like, yeah, it was fine. I liked it. I'm like, okay, you know, it's not my Batman, but like, whatever, you know, I, I, I feel a little differently about like Luke in the last Jedi because it's like, this is canon. And it's like, there's so few, you know, we waited how long for this, but like, you know, it's just like, that's not my Luke Skywalker, but it's like, for me, it's like, then those movies don't have to be canon in my mind. That can be yeah. some alternate reality for me where it's like, I really enjoy the main characters. I wish that all of them had gotten, you know, more equal screen time and attention, but that's, uh, that's for another podcast, Star Wars Universe podcast. I mean, I, I think that gets into, um, what I was saying before about the difference in the different kind of verses because. Yeah. You know, to some extent, when the Legends canon was happening, we sort of had everything going in different directions. But we really have only had, like, one canonical, especially once the Legends went away, we don't have eight different writers writing eight different versions of the Battle of Hoth. You know, we have Mm -hmm. the one canonical story. And, you know, Last Jedi Luke is, for me, very much my Luke. And it's not your Luke. And that's totally okay. And, And I'm the same way. Like, for me... Palpatine coming back is just never going to be canonical. I just don't. Right, right. And I, I'm not going to like tell people the wrong for thinking that. I just think that's that's not what the story would have done. Um, it kind of steps on Anakin's story a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it completely obliterates Anakin's story. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so why don't we, because um, I think uh, yeah. a lot of this started with, with um, two very good kind of other world stories. So why, don't we, why don't we jump into those somewhat? Okay, thank you for that transition layup. <laughs> So, we are now going to talk about Gotham by Gaslight, and spoiler alerts, uh, we're going to talk about Gotham, Gotham by Gaslight. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you really want to see it without knowing anything about it, including who the principal villain is, then uh, maybe go watch it right now. It's on, what, HBO Max or something like that. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's both a comic that people can read, uh, and I think it's too. like 20 years ago, or old by now old by now or so and it also was made into a movie i think maybe like five years ago yeah it was made uh, just i think it was only two years ago a movie and i i imagine it's more recent because uh gotham by gaslight is an elseworlds batman story that takes place in 19th century gotham which feels a lot like london what? and features a lot of steampunk <laughs> yeah, elements really cool yeah um so and and it's like it's kind of vague as Far as whether it's in London or, I mean, whether it's in the UK or the US, people generally speak in, you know, American accents, but they talk about somebody spending time on the continent, you know, so that was, instead of saying Europe, I feel like they very deliberately didn't say Europe, because if you say the continent, then it could be from the UK or it could be from the US. Um, and I really enjoyed the story, um, you know, there's some caveats, like, well, so basically it's about, um, Batman in steampunk era, um, trying to catch Jack the Ripper. And I guess that's another reason it feels like London. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, the caveat is basically like, it's a story with a ton of women getting brutally murdered, which like, I don't know. At some point I feel like maybe I've seen enough of those, but it's a very good one and you know it does have um some strong or at least like one strong female character um and it's you know the the main characters in the story i would say are um you know bruce wayne as batman 
Uh, you know, you've got Alfred, you've got Commissioner Gordon, and Harvey Bullock is like chief of police, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Harvey Dent. And um, Selena Kyle is a very important character in the story. And uh, before we get into like exactly what happens in the story, um, I want to ask the question, like, what to you makes Batman Batman? Like, what are the real... Um, like core essences, you know, the the core essence of the character. He doesn't kill. (laughs) He's an orphan. Mm -hmm. Once he was a boy, but now he is a bat. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard because there's like, there, there are fundamentals that are Batman. It was, you know, he was orphaned. He was privileged. He made sure that he was going to protect the innocent by joining ninjas or whatever happened. Right. And I don't know. It as long as you get like those fundamentals right, but then he's does he kill in this one? No. 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 And he I doesn't. love that about Batman. I really yeah, do. Me too. Yeah. That's why the Batfleck didn't work so much, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because my original Batman is Michael Keaton, who mows people down with machine guns in his car. But... Right. And I, like, don't remember that at all, like, during the thing. Like, he, right. I think he tries to save the Joker, right? But then the Joker falls to his death. And he's like, eh, I guess he fell to his death. He yeah. always tries to save the Joker. Yeah. But... Yeah, the film Batman's, yeah. And I think I have a pretty similar list to you, Ashley. To me, what's fundamental about Batman is that he had... He lost his parents as a young kid and that he was – and this grin is not Batman 66 necessarily, but he was fairly traumatized by it. And it's still right. something mm-hmm. he's wrestling with and that he is now using his privilege to try and uh, make the world a better place because – I think this is the other thing that at least is essential to my idea of Batman. He lives in a world where the justice system is not working the way it is supposed to, you know, and that the mm-hmm. police are, the yeah. police and the courts and all this are so corrupt – And that he feels like he has to, you know, break the law to be the law. And that that tension of being a vigilante in order to do justice, as well as the tension of are you doing justice or are you doing vengeance? To me, those are kind of – and also this idea of, you know, who are you accountable to? Those are all the things I think of at least as as fundamental to any Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so th- that pretty much matches my list for the most part as well. Um, to me, the idea of not killing people, uh, basically trying to non-lethally apprehend um, violent people, is fundamental to what to to the Batman that I love, right? right? And is why mm-hmm. I feel very differently about Batman compared to Punisher, um, and. You know, particularly in a world where we have, like, our world, where where police, you know, you could say aren't effectively um, doing what we want them to. <laughs> and, you know, where, where police are murdering people mm-hmm. often, right? right? And predominantly, like, disproportionately black people, um, disproportionately Latino people um, and, and native peoples. But... You know, police kill people in our world, and I, I'm not okay with that. Right. Um, you know, I, I look at Batman, and and you can say, oh, well, you know, it's naive. Like, he probably would just get killed in the first, like, couple months of being Batman. And, like, maybe that's true. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the idea that somebody would spend, you know, a decade 
training to be able to be someone who can, you know, understands crime and try to stop it without killing people. Right. Um, you know, I feel like Batman has a certain empathy for his oh, yeah. villains that not all heroes do, and certainly Frank Castle doesn't, right? Mm, and yeah, yeah. I think one of the most important parts of Batman is that the most well-known location in the Batman world outside of his house, Gotham Manor, is mm-hmm. Arkham Insane Asylum. Absolutely. And, I mean, we can talk to the cows come home about how the representation of mental illness in most Batman is horrible, and I'm not going to defend yes. it for a second. Yeah. 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 But I think it goes to what you're saying is that in the Batman world, the criminals aren't evil. They're right. not terrible. They're generally thought of as people who are sick, who are mentally yeah. ill. And again, all the caveats, but how it's not, you know, mental yeah. illness does not mean criminality. No. Right. But at least, and, and that I think one of the reasons why people often talk about Batman having such a great rogues gallery is that none of them are mustache twirlers, or almost none of them are, uh, unless it's Cesar Romero's mustache as Joker. Now, right. <laughs> brilliant mustache twirling, nice. because that's the whole point, is that he is terrifying because there isn't a good origin story. But yeah. so many of his villains have an origin story that makes you believe why they do it and makes you sympathetic to them. I think you're right. That's not it's not unintentional. It's because Batman is sympathetic to him. Batman mm-hmm. understands yeah. um, that this isn't just random things. It's funny. I never even thought of it in these terms. I think it's in part because. Do you think that on some level it's because Bruce Wayne knows how close he could have gone to becoming a supervillain? Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's a great take. Yeah. He you could know, have been a Lex Luthor. Yeah. I mean, he was going to murder Joe Chill in <laughs> Batman Begins, right? right. And in and Gotham. And like, I have to story. say, I have to say Christian Bale, to me, is the best Batman just because and, – and it's not even the movie or the Nolan movies. It's what – he plays Bruce Wayne and Batman equally and perfectly. Whereas, like, I love Keaton, but he doesn't have the Bruce Wayne down. He has a good Batman down. And Ben Affleck doesn't have a group good Bruce Wayne like none of them really have a good Bruce Wayne he's supposed to be good looking he's supposed to be a millionaire playboy and like in Batman Begins when he has the models swimming in the hotel like fountain that he bought even though it's breaking his heart to do it he knows these are the dumb shit things he has to do to keep up (laughs) the Bruce Wayne you know persona so he can do this other stuff on you know the backhand that's saving the city I don't know yeah and then I like I love that Batman (laughs) Me too. I, I think visually, he also just he looks like Batman. Yeah, me, you know, um, hockey pants be damned. Like that wasn't his fault. He didn't decide to do that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, the the one thing that I'd say those movies lack that um, Gotham by Gaslight really um, really has features heavily, um, and the animated series uh, and the the Batman and Bruce Wayne voiced by Kevin Conroy. Um, is this sense of being a detective, you know, Batman being referred to as the world's greatest detective, which also Sherlock Holmes is referred to as the world's greatest detective. And so they have um, to fight to the death. Actually in Gotham by Gaslight, there's one short line where uh, Bruce says um, when, yes, they have to fight to the death. Perfect. Wait, no, wrong, wrong. Sign me up. Um, (laughs) Where, where Bruce says, um, one of my mentors says, 
uh, once you've eliminated the impossible and, you know, all that's left is the improbable, improbable, uh, the improbable, (laughs) then that must be true. Um, And that's that's a Sherlock Holmes quote. So, you know, there's basically that this Batman was taught by, you know, Sherlock Holmes was a mentor of this Batman, which I love. And, And I my Batman is like basically Sherlock in a comic book world. Um, who knows a lot of martial arts and has some fancy toys. And this is like an adult animated series. It's on HBO. Yes. Okay, cool, cool, cool. It's not a series. It's one, or it's one, a movie. It's like, it's like the killing joke. It's like the killing joke. It's yeah. like the killing joke. But Perfect. Really, I am yeah. watching yeah. that shit this weekend. Yeah. It sounds I, amazing. I, I think you really like it. I, I want to say one word going back to the Snyder stuff. Um, and then let's talk more about Gotham by Gaslight. Cause I think it's a great yeah. example of good canon. Um, for me, what you just said about the world's greatest detective is exactly why the, the backstory to make him less Punisher helps, but that's why still the Snyder Batman. Oh, it actually be, has some of that. Well, no, oh, what, no what I'm saying opposite. is Snyder <laughs> Batman is the extended version of, of Batman versus Superman explains how Batman becomes Punisher. And so I can more believe that, but it still has but... none of Batman as the world's greatest detective, which is why it is never going to be my Batman because the central part of the movie is always still going to be that Lex Luthor outthinks Batman and manipulates him, and just nope, <laughs> yeah, that's just that, nope. That, that, no, the, the 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 common theme in Justice League again and again is Lex yeah. Luthor running mental rings around Superman and mm-hmm. and Batman just chuckling in the corner before finally being like, "Look, Soups, Clark, that's not how this works." Right, um, exactly. Clark, I mean, one of my favorite Batman lines ever is when Amanda Waller's saying to Batman, you know. Um, and Batman's like, don't, you know, what do you think Lex wants here? And she's like, he wants to be president. That would be, you know, that's power. That's enough for any man. And Batman's like, almost any man. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he knows that Lex is up to something more than just trying to be the president. Right. Like he knows Lex has some bigger thing. And yeah, the idea in the, in the Snyder verse and in, in Batman versus Superman of Lex just totally pulling the wool over Batman's eyes is like, I'm like, nope. <laughs> not my Batman. And not my Batman. Think, but to tie it all back, I think Gotham by Gaslight is one of the most canonical Batman stories I've seen. And, oh, interesting. And yeah. this goes to me against very much about what I think of as canon. He has a horse carriage. He does. It's not a Batmobile. He doesn't have right. bulletproof armor. And at one point, he has a handsome. Or, he yeah. actually gets wounded by a bullet. Um, yeah. There's all of these things that are so fundamentally different. Um, a person who we know of as a supervillain in a lot of the story. Her sort of normal equivalent just gets killed at one point and never becomes a supervillain. Like there's a lot of right. things that are – the details of which are fundamentally different. But he's the detective. He's wrestling with that trauma. He's wrestling with how much does he or doesn't let other people in. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to have a spoiler, but there's a fundamental moral conflict at a, an important part of the story where he's wrestling with is it more important to be Batman or to do what Batman is supposed to do? Right. And I'm like, it's 1890s, it's basically London, it's a totally different circumstance, but this is 100% Batman. Hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I see it and I'm like, that's Batman. Um, and, you know, there's, I don't, should we just not spoil, like, who's, like, the the mystery? Because I feel like that's so much of a, like, we don't have to, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to spoil the mystery. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's it's a story set in a completely different setting, uh, a totally different Gotham that still really feels like Gotham. 
mm-hmm. right? It's dark and industrial and, and like, Gothic people is- are poor and suffering and the cops don't care. Late yeah, Gotham century, and Gothic. Late 19th yeah. century London is basically the definition of Gothic. So, yeah, it works really right. well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's like um, Steven Soderbergh, Gotham. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> There's no Batman 66 bright primary colors or anything like that. <laughs> I just wanted the butts and the nibbles. <laughs> I'm I'm listening. I'm listening. Back to the story. Okay. Well, so so now I think. Um, let me double check. Yeah. Okay. I think we covered that one. Um, and basically, just I, I would highly recommend it in terms yeah. of seeing a story where Batman is Batman, but a lot of things are different, and it, and to me, it just works. <laughs> Does he wear um, a top hat and long coat? Sometimes. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, visually, and Harvey, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I, I need really my like, Mr. Darcy, yes, yeah, Bruce Wayne, my Mr. Darcy. I mean, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <probably> charming. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's transition to uh, Superman Red Sun, where um, here I've got a I've got a little little summary of this somewhere too. Um, Red Sun is an Elseworlds Superman story that takes place during the Cold War and imagines what might have happened if Superman landed in and grew up in the Soviet Union instead <gasps> of the United States. Oh my god. It's so really? good. Yeah, the concept of it's brilliant. The, the concept's really that's, good. That's crazy. Oh, um, keep going. There's a there's a graphic novel. Right, Matthew, you read the graphic novel, which is what, a collection of the comics that had been yeah, it's, released uh, like in... And I think like Gotham by Gaslight, there was a set of kind of elsewhere or I'm not sure if it was part of the same set, but it's the same idea of mm-hmm. there was a number of comic books re- released uh, in sort of three books. And you can get all three books as one. It's called Red Sun. And it it we're not going to go. I'm going to give a little rant at the end of it. But if you want to kind of like go super <laughs> meta on the canon, the movie we're going to talk about how it's not canonical to the normal Superman. It's also the movie is distinctly different from the book in some important ways that I'll have my own little mini canon uh, rants about. Right. But yeah, well. but yeah, the fundamental idea of it is to sort of ask, you know, like I said, I, I like asking these questions. And I think what the movie, yeah. what the, the Red Sun story is asking is how much of the Superman that we know is because he grew up in America. And is, it, <sighs> is he dedicated to American ideals or is he dedicated to Superman ideals that just happen to align with um those of the america as portrayed in the comics which is certainly not necessarily the america that many of us understand today so like on krypton if they had a declaration of independence yeah kind of like that idea (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, if they had some kryptonian declaration so it's like if on krypton it was kind of like i was like this is crazy what a crazy storyline i'm so aboard well, and, and so I think with what, the, the movie, or do you want to give it the, the summary? What time? happens? Yeah. Well, so so the f- first first the question we need to we need to we need order order yeah. order in the podcast. <laughs> Not my job. <laughs> um, so you know, again, I would ask the question here, like, what makes Superman Superman? And because here we have Superman in a very different setting, right? Mm-hmm. But it's you know it's still Kal El, like. What what makes Superman Superman and what would, you know, is it truth, justice and the American way? Or, you know, is it truth, justice and absorbing the ideals of the nation in which uh, he grows up? Uh, or what else is it? 
the latter, right? Right? No? I, I, I would say yes. Yeah. And I think that's the argument that the story's making. I, um, I, well, let, let's go, before we even get to the story, let's just talk about yeah. the Superman himself. I, okay. To me, the essence of Superman is the Boy Scout, you know, that he, mm-hmm. right. he believes in goodness and right as defined for him by the society that he's living in. And I think the other part of it is that, and here's where he fundamentally differs from Batman, Superman is primarily about understanding and respecting the authorities around him. You know, he yeah. practices the law. He he upholds goodness as is explained to him by the people around him. Right. Um, he's lawful good. Yeah, he's, he's lawful good, whereas <laughs> Batman is very much chaotic good. Yeah, or neutral good, I, I actually think, is Batman. That's but. possible. And then the last thing I think for me about Superman is also that he has this incredible power that... Under almost like there's always this question of if Superman went bad, we're all fucked because right. there's yeah, literally yeah. no way to stop him. And so yeah. the only reason we can feel safe is because we know that Superman is so good and so pure that he will never go bad. Right. And of course, yeah. the fact that Red Krypton exists makes that whole Red Kryptonite exists makes that whole question. You know, and I, I think I right. and Amanda Waller has a point is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I like most of the stories. <laughs> That are about what what if Superman went bad? Um, yeah. But yeah the, to me, those are the kind of the fundamental parts. What about for you, Ashley? What are the fundamentals of who Superman is? It kind of makes me like, okay, here comes some questions. So on Krypton, when his planet was being destroyed and his parents sent him away, was it by um, uh, like an evil, you know, like a Nazi style takeover of his planet or was it an insurrection or like a civil war most versions of the story it's an environmental disaster yeah and it's it's actually kind of his... a, a model of the climate change debate 40 years before the climate change debate right okay. right it's that yeah. there's this oncoming uh ecological disaster and kal-el's family is the only one who understands it and recognizes it okay so when he would get to wherever he was, I would think that if he was raised and told that this was right by whatever group he was with, how would he know the difference of what was right? So like, I, it's hard to to think about Superman in a different setting and like, not just go with that's how he would think. Because if you take him out of America, I don't know like how to think like a Superman would think because right. he would obviously think that whatever he was taught by whoever saved his life and took him in would be right. And I think that's one of the things that, that the Red Sun story really explores in an interesting so. way is he believes like truth, justice in the American way. <clears throat> that's the American ideal. And for much of the Superman comic, they don't raise the question of does America actually live up to that? In more recent times, right. they do. Yeah. In this one, though, they that's the whole question is he's raised. And I think it's very important. He comes of age in the in the years immediately after World War II mm-hmm. when – Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union has literally just defeated the greatest evil that's ever been on Earth in Nazi Germany. Uh, yeah. And this, all these stories about, like, the glories of Soviet manhood and the the wonders of what Soviets can become. And so he becomes this very idealistic person who believes in, you know, the glory, the not even, like, Soviet, like, glory-like nationalism, but of mm-hmm. the workers' paradise and the evils of mm-hmm. capitalism and all of these ideals and then a lot of the story is about like kind of the difference between like communist ideals versus stalinist government and, and sort of where he fits in that but right i think at least in the first part of the story i and i'm 
Paul, I want to know your, your response to it. In the first part, it very much feels like Superman to me because it does feel very much like he wants everybody to have a good life. And if he's born, if he's, if he comes to earth in Kansas, he's told capitalism's the way to do that. If he's born in the Ukraine, if he lands in the Ukraine, he's told that communism is the way to do that. But they're both mm-hmm. fundamentally the same idea of everybody having a happy, good life. Hmm. Yeah. And, and like basically trusting the system to be looking out for people. Right. Um, and so if he supports the system with his superpower, then that will help the system basically take care of people. Um, and, and, you know, in capitalism, it's not about taking care of people, but it's about, you know, basically <laughs> trying to, I, I don't know. Mussolini I, I can't even made the trains it. come on time. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like to fight against the people who are kind of trying to thwart people going about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do feel, I, I enjoyed the beginning of, um, the, the animated Red Sun. I, I didn't read the comic. I listened to the podcast and I was like, oh, this, this sounds different from the movie <laughs> I just watched. Um, and, you know, there was one thing that comes up later that I was like, I was like, well, now you've totally lost me. But um, early on, I, I I enjoyed it as I felt like they weren't trying to say, you know, capitalism bad, communism good, or like communism bad, capitalism good. Like, like they they did I say the same thing twice, or did I say two different? I things? think we know what you meant. Yeah, it sounded you know different I mean. to me. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, the the point being, like, the beginning of the movie didn't feel like it was taking a stance. As to, like, what was right and what was wrong. It was kind of more just like, you know, here are our two world powers that are opposing one another. And, you know, each one is saying that it's trying to do what's right for people. And Superman lives in a particular place and he's trying to help his place do what it says it's doing. And then, you know, um, he finds out about, you know, Stalin doing some bad stuff, which Stalin did. Right. And, you know, I mean, I would argue that Stalinism is horrible and mm-hmm. is not communism, in fact. Um, it's just a different brand of authoritarianism that markets itself as communism. And then Brainiac shows up. So first, uh, should so I think we can spoil this part, right? Like what happens to Stalin? Um, you know what? Stalin dies <laughs> because historically Stalin dies. Can I, can, I can I take a shot at it? Yeah, go for so it. I think the essential part of the story, and this is true in both the book and the movie, is that in, in the same way as normal Superman, he wants what is best for everybody. But in part because he grows up in a world where there's much more of a comfort with the idea of using the power of the state and the power of the military – to sort of, you know, force, you know, kind of basically offer people liberty or death. Um, right. You know, instead of it being what we request, right. it's like, we're going to give you liberty or we're going to give you death. Right. And we're going to give you what we're saying. This that is. Superman is horrified by that, but that Superman becomes comfortable, you know, especially in the movie version. Like, he leads the Soviet army to defeat South Korea because he believes right. in, like, liberating Korea. And What? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have to watch this one. <laughs> Which is very different from the books, right? Right, yeah. And, and and the idea, and I think there's a lot of stuff that happens kind of off screen. And so here I'm going to go more kind of on, if I know what the comic says, I can interpret what I think the movie is trying to say, is that mm-hmm. he is making life better for everybody in the places they go to. But he's doing it by force. And it's 
Right. In many ways, to me, it's the, it's the Superman I'm always terrified of. It's the mm. the Captain America I'm terrified of in, in Civil War. It's the – when a person believes that they know what is best for someone else and they have the power to enforce that on someone else, what stops them from doing it? And I think the the best version of the Red Sun story is kind of saying like, yeah, if Superman grew up in a different time in a different place where he was taught – that that kind of authoritarian, like that, basically, like that. That there's, there's, to me, the version of it that I most interpret is, or I, I most resonate to, is it's kind of saying that there is an inherent authoritarian streak that's present in Superman, that's mm-hmm. always being withheld because he lives in this democratic society, and that if you put him mm. in a different society, it's very possible. Like the conceit, the movie seems to be, and the book seems to be, that it's possible that he would lean more into that authoritarianism out of this desire of his to make the world better for everyone. That's interesting. I, I, there's an extent to which I feel a little bit the opposite and was, this is where I was kind of disappointed with where the story went. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it's not probably what I should expect out of this story, but you know, I, I think about some of the criticisms of Bruce Wayne, like, Oh, here's this billionaire and he's using his money to like buy fancy toys so he can go beat up on street level criminals. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, well I feel like that's a minor part of the story in terms of like random street level criminals. Mostly they're like, you know, criminally insane terrorists who are trying to like destroy, blow up Gotham or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, yeah, he starts out like basically trying to apprehend, you know, stop muggers and whatever. And personally, like, I think if you live in a world where um, the cops are, either going to ignore it or just shoot people like, yeah, I'd rather somebody with like some bolos or whatever, like, you know, like maybe cracked someone's ribs, but apprehended them non-lethally. Like, you know, I, I I don't think that's necessarily a a bad thing, but, um, which is, you know, not to say y'all should go out there and start doing that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) but, and and also that I, I feel, you know, Bruce Wayne like does a lot of philanthropy and yes I have huge problems with people being billionaires um I wish you know, I was a billionaire, billionaire. listen I you want to be a billionaire know, who doesn't want to be a billionaire I want that so freaking bad yeah Paul you would do I such good things, things with your had. billions of dollars you want to be a billionaire <laughs> no one knows Just stop I mean it. I would I would I, I would try to make the world a better place yeah um and I think when you have that kind of power it's like I think you should try to make the world a better place. I think that society should be structured in a way that people don't accrue that much power. Um, I agree. Superman's interesting because Superman has way more power than a billionaire. You know, I mean... In many ways, yeah. Because, I, I mean, in all the ways. He could be a billionaire if he wanted to be. He could be a trillionaire if he wanted to be. He could rule the entire world if he wanted to. You know, it's basically... And, and so when people say like, oh, well... If, you know, Bruce Wayne should be, like, um, do, spending all his effort, like, trying to alleviate poverty, like, maybe. But it's like Superman could end, not necessarily end poverty, but he could end various forms of oppression by just being like, yeah, you don't get to do that or I'm going to come after you, right. you know. That's and true. so there's an extent to which it's like if Superman doesn't overthrow, like, if North Korea exists and Superman exists, like... North Korea shouldn't keep existing. But similarly, you could look at the United States and be like, well, if the United States works this way and shouldn't work the way it does, 
then if he were there, like, it shouldn't keep existing. But at the same time, like, I, I totally understand the idea that, like, somebody should try to establish some sort of checks on their power. Right. Yeah. You know, where it's like, you want someone keeping you honest. You want, you don't want to just surround yourself by people who are going to be like, oh yeah, you should do this. You know, you should do whatever you think you should do. And it's just going to agree with you. Not the Sokovia Accords though. Right. Exactly. Definitely not the Sokovia Accords. But maybe not reject the whole idea of the Sokovia Accords. Say, we need some kind of Accords and let's let's work on them. But no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right captain america always trust him be like a tree yeah. um but here, here's here's the thing and I, i'm gonna here i am gonna talk a little bit about the difference between the book and the movie because i think it's important yeah. because i the whole question originally for this is supposed to be how close to the canon is it and i think right the book is actually close to what i can believe about a superman and the, and the movie isn't um okay and i think it's because what you're saying like the whole problem with all that is at what point are you giving people the the life that they should have, you know, but also taking away their ability to choose it? And mm-hmm. for a lot of the comic, Superman never crosses that line. He is very much making the Soviet Union possible to be what it should be. And so other countries are wanting to become like that and other countries are choosing to become mm. – because he's basically saying yeah. – we're going to have true communism without Stalinism because I'm going to kill any right. possible Stalinists. Oh, that sounds better, well, right? <laughs> and so, other and so, and in the comics, therefore, America is just constantly being like, "No, no, capitalism, capitalism. We have to attack. We have to right. attack." And it's right. over time, Superman in his like he becomes more authoritarian, but he's kind of driven there because they're so constantly being mm. attacked by right. uh, America, which is led by Lex Luthor, and there's all sorts of stuff there. What? Yeah, it's basically like Lex Luthor becomes the force of like, I'm going to build the forces to defend capitalism to try and take down Superman. Huh. Yeah. And so he does eventually, it's again, it's the showing your work thing. He does eventually go into authoritarianism because it's about like, he thinks there's no other choice. In the movie, he just goes straight there. Wow. The whole like thing about Korea and stuff like that. Like that's not in the... um, there's a I don't remember if that specific detail is not oh, the, the comics. I don't think it is. But either way, like, there's a huge amount of – he's much more – he's much more authoritarian and Luther is presented much more as a hero instead of a deeply cynical kind of antihero, maybe just as much of a villain. Um, yeah, and he's – I feel like Luther starts in the movie being like a Luther I recognize. Right. And then by the end of it, I'm like, what? Like, who is this? And – um. You know, and Superman, to me, kind of turns into, like, the Justice Lords Superman. Yeah. You know, which which I feel like having seen that in Justice League, I can buy it a little more. You know, this idea that this Lex Luthor being president of the United States or whatever, or, you know, can kind of drive Superman into being this more authoritarian, um, using his power like more of a, a blunt instrument right. instead of... <laughs> Kind of um, curtailing his usage of his power in some ways. Wait a minute. So Lex Luthor fucking Donald Trump's his way up to being the president? I'm sorry about the F-bomb. We get one per PG-13 I mean, episode. Yeah. <laughs> he he did it before. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> before, what? Before, Lex Luthor becomes awesome. president in yeah, a number of different cool. versions of the Superman stories. 
Go um, for yeah. him. Go but for we, him. We can't discuss what happens to him because then the FBI or police might come to one of our doors. Um, right. Listen yeah, to an we earlier did, episode to understand what that. that's about. I'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Check the show notes. It was not the FBI. It was, it was just police. some random coppers. That's what they told you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but here I think is maybe a really good way to say it and to talk about the, the way it does or doesn't relate to canon. I feel like in in this in the comic, the argument they're making is that if placed in a situation where he felt he could use his power to do good, but that people were constantly stopping him, he might become more and more authoritarian because that's what he felt was needed to do good. That's the argument of the mm-hmm. comic, and I feel like yeah. I can buy that for Superman. The yeah. movie says Superman is a good character because he believed in good old American values. And if he's mm. born in this, the Soviet Union instead of America, he's immediately going to go much more authoritarian and much more terrible. And now it feels like I, you're not making an argument about Superman. You're, you, to me, the movie almost kind of took a lot away from Superman because it said Superman's only good because he's American in ways that I yeah, really I, didn't like. And I felt that's I, not canonical. I feel like that's where the movie ended up. Like the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie wasn't that. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up going that direction. I was like, oh, that's not the movie I thought I was watching. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I I also really didn't like that. Uh, I think it takes a lot away from Superman. I think it um, gives too much credit to the United States. And um, it just... And then meanwhile, they started introducing some other characters who are um, in the DC world. And... Uh, <laughs> Not really giving the versions of uh, them that that I would like to see. I, I mean, I've, should we mention those? Yeah, I think it's a little more okay. spoilery, but but um, it, it's kind of if, if you yeah, read the, it's, the it's covers, not the, you're see it right, and it's not the the final end of it. But you know, you've got a Batman who's the Punisher, basically, huh. and I can kind of buy that in that world where Superman is this ridiculous overlord mind controlling everybody let's give a little bit more backstory there because i think it's important in this world um bruce waynevich i forget the actual russianification name (laughs) definitely wasn't the name in the movie i know but it's it's, it's, there's a russian child yeah yeah okay and his parents are i think they're ukrainian yeah his parents are anti-stalinist dissidents who are murdered Mm -hmm. in front of him Mm -hmm. and so he is it's the same kind of batman story but instead of it being about I want to fight crime, it's about I want to fight, um, you know, the state. It's and gone. so he becomes yeah. this, depending on your point of view, depending on the book or the movie, either a kind of like libertarian leaning like freedom fighter or a domestic terrorist. Um, but certainly, yeah, very Punisher like he has no problem killing innocent people. He has no problem, you know, doing horrible things, including to Wonder Woman, which how he does it is never explained. But yeah, yeah. But it's what all happened? because, you know, he has seen his parents killed by the state, and so all he wants is to take down the state. Hmm. Yeah, and That's I would say, you know, that... Me, Ashley. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that that Batman, I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh, they're going to introduce Batman. Wait, what? <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I just... That's where they lost me, honestly. Um, I... Leading up to that, they were kind of, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, Luther was doing some stuff that wasn't quite good, but and he was trying to defeat Superman, and it, I felt kind of on board with it, and, and I, 
you know, I don't know. It just, it, for me, that's around where it fell apart, where I felt like this wasn't like, why even call this character Batman? Right. You know? And, uh, you know, I thought the Wonder Woman was kind of interesting. Um, There was one particular exchange between her and Superman that I I actually thought was kind of great. (laughs) um, Where she's like, um, she's the, I guess, diplomat. She's the emissary from Themyscira to the Soviet Union. Right. And her and Superman are like hanging out and Superman's sort of like, um, so should, you know, should we, uh, get it on or something? And she's like, oh, no, I, I don't, that, you know, you're, you're not my, my cup of tea. Like, you know, I come from an island of all women and that's all I'm interested in. Right. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I just kind of thought we were supposed to, but like, I'm totally good with not, yeah. <laughs> which I, I just like, I liked that exchange because it's like, oh, okay, they have a, you know, a lesbian Wonder Woman, which makes tons of sense. Yeah. And like Superman sort of like, yeah, whatever, we're good. Like, you it's know, a great way he isn't of, like super creepy dude. Like, It's a great way of kind of tweaking the idea of that because Superman and Wonder Woman are like the two top that they, of course, should be together. I feel like there's a little, like, mm-hmm. twist of that. There's also a yeah. later line where she says, like, something about how, like, you know, the world of men is terrible because all men do this. And he responds, uh, not all men. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, come on. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> the mascara was on the board. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I agree with you. I in, in the book especially, but also in the movie, for a lot of it, Wonder Woman is like, oh, Superman wants to make the world fundamentally better. He wants to bring more egalitarian values to the world of men right. of like, you know, everyone gets food, everyone gets healthcare, everyone gets a good life. And it, it kind of is an interesting statement for Wonder Woman because she's not necessarily like huge on the democracy part. She's like, yeah, capitalism's yeah. evil. If we're going to fo- make everyone have a better life, I'm down with this. And, yeah. and she yeah. later I mean, breaks away with him because when so. he becomes more authoritarian, but at first she's very much on the side of communism and Superman. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense for her yeah of course it, it does yeah yeah i mean her her outfit being all spangly is is a little hey odd. us uh, ladies like short skirts and sparkly outfits i'm not gonna let people keep taking that away from us it's just like that it looks like the somebody cut up little piece of the american flag and made an outfit that's out of exactly them. I find it really what it's weird. supposed to look like i, I, I know it has nothing to do with the shortness of the skirt is that it still looks like a very much like wonder woman as the american hero fighting for communism is that right? She's yes. She's not from. Isn't she's that not uh, from the, like an oxymoron? Oh, I'm not talking about in in this. I'm talking about in general. Her in outfit. general, I like in, it. In this, I thought I thought she looked pretty cool. I don't think she had the same kind of. Um, uh, yeah, it's red and it's know, red and black instead of red and blue. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, Fashion runway with Paul, Matthew, and Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like her boots were on point. Her skirt was too short. But the uh, red, white, and gold in the top, stunning. You like it? You like it? <laughs> I appreciate that you and I had a conversation. We'll get back on topic in a second. But you and I had a conversation where I thought her outfit in Wonder Woman 84 was fundamentally different than her outfit in the original Wonder Woman. And it's just because the lighting was so different and so much darker. <laughs> <laughs> darker in the original, right? Yeah. In, in the first Wonder yeah. Woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely a very different visual look. Well, um, I, I, I a- Ashley, we're throwing all this about at you about this one, this Superman. What what's your take? Does this sound like a, a Superman story you could understand, or does it sound like completely off the canon? Um, it's a lot to take in. <laughs> um, but I, all I can like keep 
going back to is that, yeah, if, I mean, if this is if he would have crash landed in Soviet Russia, then this is what the Superman we would have had. I, I, yeah, I can't see any like explaining to him that what he's doing is wrong because the people who brought him up would bring him up to think that what he was doing is right, which happens to so many soldiers and like like Nazis and, you know, kids in Nazi Germany, like Think about like Jojo Rabbit, like people who are brought up from a kid thinking that this is what's right. Like how Superman's supposed to know the difference. Right. I, I think there's still like, you know, I can't imagine if Superman lands in like 1936 Germany that he grows up to be a Nazi. Because I think there's, he'd be able to recognize like what they're doing is wrong. I mean, we but would hope so. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think he would. But but I think I think definitely your point of like the way he's brought up still would matter a lot, you know, and that if he's taught that, yeah. you know. I think it would have been a very different story if it was Nazi Germany, but the fact that they well, chose to make who, it Soviet made it a little bit more easier to take. Right. Well, it's also like, who are his parents, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was raised by Jewish people in 1936 Germany. Oh, yeah. You know? That's a, well, I don't think it would have happened. <laughs> I, maybe he becomes Magneto or Batman. Yeah, well, he would have stopped it all because he's Superman. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you could tell some great stories there because I think one of those things about Red Sun that makes it very interesting that, again, the book I think does well that the movie stumbles on is saying if Superman is taught these ideals, what happens when he realizes that the world he's living in doesn't live up to the ideals that he's been taught? And right. we right. get that in him where he, you know, the ideals of communism and the reality of Stalinism are wildly different. Now, mm-hmm. there's nothing in the world that says yeah. that people from this completely alien planet of Krypton have to have skin of a particular shade. So yeah. I'd love to see another one of these. That's what if, you know, Kal-El has dark skin and lands in Mississippi in the 1950s. Ooh. Like, you know. He would kill a lot of slave owners. <laughs> uh, so, the, in the 1850s. Yeah, I said 1950s. Yeah. slave owners in the 1950s. <laughs> oh, segregation. I don't know. <laughs> We all know I'm not good with these. It would definitely be a little bit. Dates are hard. It's totally but, okay. Shh, shh. There's um, plowing forward. There's a, th- this is this is. <laughs> I'm actually plowing backwards now. <laughs> um, there's a there's a Magneto backstory comic that um, I don't remember the name of, but I imagine there's not a ton that is about him growing up in. Um, I don't think in Germany, but in Nazi occupied somewhere and. Wow. Uh, it's, it's heartbreaking and, um, but have a, I don't know, a, a, like Superman type character in that setting. I mean, I guess would just be like Magneto probably, but you don't know, (laughs) you know, um, I mean, different, you know, trauma, similar traumas can affect different people differently. And, um, similarly, like, you know, growing up in a particular place with parents espousing certain values can affect different people differently. People tend to start off, um, you know, kind of absorbing the values of their parents and the authority figures around them. But mm-hmm. some people reject them and, and some people, um, you know, there's often going to be conflict, right, between um, between Stalinists and, you know, more old school Marxists. I mean, I imagine that was still going on in the Soviet Union, although it was, I guess it was harder to speak up at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas in in the United States, it's like it's it's still been hard for people to speak out against you know, um, 
I mean, there's ostensibly the freedom to speak out against the government, right? I mean, there is literally, but <sighs> at the same time, you know, I mean, now we, we see, I don't know, so many different viewpoints that are like magnified, that, that are, you know, um, amplified by, by the loudest megaphones, metaphorically speaking. But like, we still, some, some of those to us seem like insane. Mm-hmm. And then other ones, mm-hmm you know, maybe seem the opposite, but like can't gain that much traction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I, think, I don't know. If, I think it's a way to look at the last 10, 20, or if not last 300 years of American history, but certainly more recently as it's a fight over canon. You know, our canonical right. version yeah. of America is that we are like the land of truth and justice in the American way. And now there's all, you know, we've literally been having political fights over what history gets taught and things like that. And that yeah. Right. All the different versions yeah. of ourselves. And I think there's an interesting parallel there, uh, not to get too into that political discussion, but that these debates over canon don't just happen in real life. They happen in terms of like, how do we remember the World War II? How do we remember Vietnam? How do we right. remember the mm-hmm. civil rights struggle? Um you know, I, just a few nights ago, I watched the movie Malcolm X, that, which is called X by Spike Lee with um, my two partners. Mm-hmm. And we had these great conversations about how that version of the civil rights story is so different than the canonical one that most Americans grow up with of Martin Luther King good, Malcolm X bad, you know. Right. Um, that's all kind of a diatribe. But I just do say, like, I think the, the questions we're asking about canon and who tells the canon really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um uh, that I think that takes us into kind of the last question the question I wanted to end on which um is about, you know, we have these massive media companies that are really dominating the viewing landscape with these huge interconnected continuities. I mean, you have Disney which has the Star Wars universe, it's got you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh it's it's got other verses, right? And <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they've got more than 50% of uh, the box office money, basically, right now. Yep. Um, and then, you know, you have a couple others that are also huge that are also building these interconnected continuities. How In that kind of environment, um, how much room do you feel is left for, like, stories that don't fit into those worlds? Or, like, kind of how much oxygen is available and is, I guess, more, you know, do either you see any problems with having this level of, you know, sort of dominance over what we have available to watch? Be that level of dominance held kind of by such a sort of small number of, of decision makers? It's such a shame because in any other world, I would be like, give it to the small creators. But because specifically Marvel and Disney have been doing it so well, I'm still enchanted by mm-hmm. what they have to offer because all of it's been so satisfying so far. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you want to be, you know, Nazi mouse, you do it. You take over all of the TV things. It's awful. And they'll have to figure out how to like, you know, sub up the money stuff and stocks and shit that I don't know what I'm talking about. But I sh- I'm i like sure that like money wise, they can't be in control of everything. But entertainment and artistically wise, so far so good, at least with Marvel. And now that Star Wars is kind of under the same thing, like everything that we've seen from them has been good. Yeah. It's funny because I'm so torn because you say that and I, I agree with you. And I to some extent, yeah. I'm like, oh, good. Filoni is now in charge of Star Wars, so yeah. everything is going to be okay. 
And if the I three of us thinking, are like fight the man kind of people, but when the man's doing it right, it's like I don't know what to do. Well, but that's the thing. Then what I hear in my head is, you know, I go crazy when someone says it's okay. Captain America can have that power. We trust him. And hard time do the same <laughs> thing when I say it's okay. <laughs> Filoni could. I mean, one of these next Star Wars movies could be terrible. Um, I know. And I, to me, I, here's the thing. I I think about it a lot, and I'm. I don't know how to resolve this because I think part of the problem is that these things have gotten so expensive because the way we tell these stories now, you know, the special effects, the budget, the huge stars, the, the publicity, all of that is a huge part of what goes into making it. And on the one hand, I would love it if copyright laws were changed and everyone could make their own version of the Batman movie they wanted to. And I would like to tell you that I would spend just as much time watching the $500,000 awful effects but great acting and great story Batman as I would the upcoming Pattinson movie. I'm not <laughs> sure I would. And, <clears throat> you know, because I think, Paul, this is the, a, such a good point that you're raising with this question because I enjoy those huge special effects. I love the big pageantry of it all. I think, though, it's why I'm so glad that... Fi- in some ways, this conversation is making me so much better understand why fan fiction exists and why mm. I'm glad that there are like, you know, <clears throat> fan made podcasts that are kind of telling these stories in like radio play versions and things like that. Because I feel like I like that, that people get to do the big budget stuff and I agree that just the reality of the economics is that not everyone's going to get to do that. But I do hope that we get in other formats and maybe like written is the way to do this because that's so much cheaper to do and you can create the special effects in your head i don't know i mean that doesn't work for everyone but like i would yeah i i guess what i'm kind of saying is i understand why they have that power because of the budgets involved and also because of the copyright laws which are stupid need to get changed but yeah i think it's a problem i think that having only one person get to tell the story is not always the greatest and i'd love it if more people got to tell these stories but i just i don't know how we get there yeah yeah um, I mean, I think no one person should have that much power as like a Kevin Feige or a Dave Filoni. Um, but if they do, I hope that they're the right person to have that much power within that universe, which I think with those two it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would rather have a world where instead of getting, you know, $300 million movies, we were getting $300 million movies, million. you know, or... You said huh? hundred billion, but I think you meant hundred million. I definitely said or meant okay. million. He meant <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hundred uh, billion dollars. Billion dollar movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you think about government budgets, and then you think about movie budgets, and you're like, these movies don't cost that much, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like I don't, you know, I don't want there to be billionaires who are going around being vigilantes, but if if Vigilantes. Oh, vigilante. Vigilante. Um, <laughs> it's only from the vigilante. But if they are, like, the it's from that I want 1800 be... show that you've been watching so <laughs> exactly. much. Exactly. It's, like, it's from the Gotham from, by Gaslight. By gosh. Um, <laughs> but, like, if they are, I want them to be my Batman, not Zack Snyder's Batman. Ugh. You know? <laughs> like, Angry. and it, it's, yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point about fan fiction. Uh, I wish that, like, animated fan fiction were more of a thing. I know that there's this 
you know, there, there's people who make things like this and then they get sued by because the mouse is extremely litigious. I think that <laughs> sucks. You know, I mean, for a while, there were people making their own baseball broadcasts where they were basically just doing their own commentary and you could watch the game and listen to their commentary. And it was obviously it was way better right. than like the, you know, the commercially available commentary. But then they got sued by Major League Baseball. And, you know, yeah, I think we need to change intellectual <laughs> property rules, laws. Yeah. Um, and I do think animation is the sort of thing where, you know, it's like, I don't think you're going to see a live action Gotham by Gaslight, right? Mm -hmm. A live action Red Sun. Um, it, it costs a good amount of money to put something like this together, but it's a lot less money. Like you can make a lot more of these, right? Than you can make tentpole films. So, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm always advocating for more animation and, uh, I, I think it's something also like it's way easier to, to dub it into other languages, which I think is great in terms of accessibility, mm-hmm. right? More people being able to enjoy the content. Um, and, uh, you know, the written word I, I think is great. And it's like, you know, I've thought about like writing some like Batman fan fiction or something. Do it. Or, um, Do it, Paul. Maybe, maybe. But then I'm always like, well, or I could write something original and then actually be able to make money off it. There's or, nothing like, unoriginal you know, about I mean, you can, can do just both. Go this, you no, can just go I, I mean, based on original characters. So write Batman not. fanfic. I know. Oh, I know. And then Sell send it, that know? right to me. <laughs> and with Robert Pattinson playing Batman, I, it's like, uh, it's the circle's complete. Him um, or Christian Bale, and then you just send it right over to me. <laughs> uh, I'll think about it. <laughs> I don't mean that part of Fifty Shades, but yes. What? I oh, oh, I oh. About, like, the leather and the straps and like, no, no, the I, jean I, with the cut shirts and like Yes Master stuff. No, I, I just mean in terms of like oh. Fifty Shades was written as a fan fiction. It was fan fiction. Oh, because oh, I could really go that was for the a connection. Batman with like leather and handcuffs and stuff. Oh, like, I I'll, guarantee you that's. Out I mean, there. Paul, if and, you want to write that book, right? please I send mean, it to me. Yeah, <laughs> that, that fan fiction exists. I am positive. Um, oh, I'm sure there's like a hundred versions. No, of that. I don't want like, anybody else yeah. to write it. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Only someone I trust. There you go. Um, they make well, it weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna very slightly, very slightly. That's okay. No. Um, but <laughs> I'm gonna plug. I'm gonna plug something for myself and then hand it over to to Matthew. Yeah, too. plug it. Um, I. I <laughs> <laughs> I I I have some fiction available that is not of uh, of this variety exactly. Um <laughs> although it, it is uh, it it kind of tails, you know, dovetails in with some of some of this stuff. Cancelating. Um that uh maybe maybe we could put that in the in the the show description. We'll put that in the show there notes. There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was basically, um, it as far as what I had, uh, planned for this conversation <laughs> and then some, I, I uh, have jumped the leather and chains shark at this point. So it's maybe a good time. To we've, we've, we've junked the King shark. Um, <laughs> I was, there's, uh, I was going to talk about, uh, justice league dark, um, apocalypse war in which King shark repeatedly says, King Shark is a shark, and that was a whole thing. Um, but we didn't. We're we're, we're not going to include that one. Yeah. But yeah, we jumped the King Shark. <laughs> the... No, I, I think these are great conversations you you brought up, and I, I want to actually throw one other thing into the mix, which is the the animated show Harley Quinn, which I don't know if you've seen. Paul, mm. have you? 
I haven't. I've seen um, some of the animated movies. With Ashley, Harley have Quinn, you seen but... it? Because this version of Harley Quinn is like your perfect version. Um, no, hmm. is it on uh, HBO? It's on HBO Max. So it, it was on yeah. the um, okay the DC, the DC thing. thing that died. And I think basically got bought up by HBO that, Max. But <laughs> that was the worst okay. platform I think I had ever interacted yes. with in terms of just <laughs> UI being, was oh but wow. The point is, wow. it's a it's a story of Harley Quinn that is very true to the characters, but where the tone of the story is fundamental. And this, I think, is another kind of canon change. Like Batman sixty six. I think as a canonical version of Batman, it's just Batman in a very campy world. This Harley Quinn is a, I mean, I think Harley and Ivy, and like it's the only time we've had the two of them being canonically uh, in a relationship together, which mm. is great. Um, in terms of live action know. or animation, right? In, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think in the other, comics, um, that's in, bad on screen, yeah. In the, in the comics, right, yeah, on yeah. screen. That's the, but that's the, the phrase. The point is, it's, it's not quite satire, but it's the kind of like, off the world, off is a very kind of like this is clearly not the real world where there's an awful lot of humor that is ridiculous and funny but also feels kind of real. Like it's things like at the meetings of the Legion of Doom, like in between Joker and Bane plotting out their like evil plans, they're arguing over who gets the better parking spot. You know, <laughs> now that like the Riddler's in jail, who gets his parking spot. Or, like, nice. Bane is con- constantly upset that no one stocks the kind of coffee he likes in the Legion of Doom headquarters. Like, it's just... <laughs> it, I only there's no venom in this. <laughs> and Harley is constantly, like, slaughtering people and being like, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Like, it's, you know, it's kind oh, of like... Oh, yeah, that's right up my alley. All sorts of, like, normal ideas of, like, what characters should do go out the window. But it's just another canonical take. And... I think you're right, Paul, that that's the great thing that anim- animation can op- can make those things so much easier because it's so much cheaper. You yeah. don't have to have mm-hmm. a $50 million explosion. You just draw an explosion. Um, right, exactly. So, yeah. So, I think it's been a great conversation. I think this has been a really great chance to dive into all the different parts of the canon debate for us really to explore more about Batman and Superman, who they are, to explore what does hosting look like and what is canonical good versions of hosting or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, thanks for bringing me in, guys. Like, I know I'm a total noob and had no business being in this conversation, but I really enjoyed it. Like, it's it's interesting. I love talking to you, too. I, I love talking with you as well, and I think um, I think we got a pretty good rhythm, the three of us, after doing a bunch of Mandalorian episode, yeah. episodes, episodes, um, and I, I I think having you know having you here, I mean you like first of all like you're talking about a bunch of X Men stuff that we probably don't know, so you know bringing like a wider perspective on some stuff, but having someone who hasn't watched. Um, you know, the, the specific things that we were referencing, I think, uh, hopefully added, added a lot, like to me it did, in terms of just um, kind of, we're, we're not able to like skip ahead and like, right. um, <laughs> you know, I think hopefully that'll that'll make the conversation more, um, more relevant to people who haven't watched these yet, and then hopefully go and watch Gotham by Gaslight and, you know, watching Red Suns. <laughs> I mean, I really want. want to watch them. Like, I'm not in <laughs> an anime, like, animated anything, but yeah. that I mean, sounds we, really fun. We could do a watch party of them sometime. And, and I'll just say, <gasps> Ashley, fun. I think you being on here is great, both just in general, but also in this kind of meta way for the specific topic, because if you've listened to the Star Wars Universe podcast, um, Ashley was with us for a lot of discussions of Mandalorian, and Ashley, as I said, like, some of us, <clears throat> you know, know all the kind of crazy deep canon, 
But you were really able to be the voice of the people who don't, which I think is so needed because to me, and this is kind of a whole other discussion and I'll just kind of make it, we can all respond and then we'll start wrapping up. I also feel like one of the other parts of canon is, again, sort of the why, if you want to write a book that is only for the people who know all the canon backwards and forwards, fine. But the more wider appeal your audience is trying to be, the less, the less you should need to know the canon in order to understand it. And I feel like that's a real toxic thing. You know, Avengers Endgame, it's fine because they've built that up for so many years. But, you know, if you made a movie tomorrow about the Fantastic Four and the only way someone would understand it is if they knew all those Fantastic Four comics, Mm -hmm. I think hardcore fans would love it. And a lot of us would be like, that's bullshit. That's terrible. The point of all this being, I feel like you being a part of these podcasts has really helped me to understand that. And because that's so much a part of the canonical discussion, I feel like you needed to really be here for this discussion. So, yeah, I'd, I know you always like to joke about that, but I'd say you're not a newbie. You're bringing a different perspective that's very much needed, I think, in these conversations. Word. Yeah, I love that. And it's 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 almost like people watching The Mandalorian for the first time. Like how many people went in just being like, oh, yeah, Boba Fett from – Star Wars back in the right. day and now you are so invested and they're throwing all these characters at you and all this backstory and you have no idea what they're talking about but you're totally on board and it doesn't matter and then you have the opportunity to go back and see all this you know mm. log and books yeah. and stories and lore and everything that makes this story a complete story that makes sense and that's like where Star Wars is starting to make this term for the awesome and yeah. I hope that DC can follow <laughs> Well, and so I will, yeah. I will use that to wrap up because we're coming very close to two hours, um, which is the hard thing. Like, really? Yeah. No, we've been going for a while. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but it's under two hours. I consider that a it victory. It is under two That's hours. Yeah. Um, my spouse, who keeps so poking her head in with a very plaintive, I'm hungry, please wrap Hi, this up. Hi, Mary. So hey, boo. Oh, yeah. Go um, eat. I think it's been a great conversation about canon. And I love that in superhero ethics, we can do that. We can take these kind of like longer, you know, wider lens views. And I'll say, we are a proud part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. If you want to learn more about any of these uh, canons, check out the other podcasts we have on the network. Star Wars uh, Universe Podcast, we've talked about. We're going deep so that you don't have to read all the stuff, but we'll still catch all the references with all the new stuff coming out. The MC- We're going deep so you don't have exactly. to. Real Wait, deep. No. Make a sexual sorry, reference. We're going Ashley, real so. deep. I tried. I tried. Um <laughs> I'm, I consider I'm just a guest now. I've completed my hosting duties, so now I can just troll. I know. Now I just have to clean up the mess. But anyway, I have yeah, so, so many dirty things to say. Just there's say them. So, we're not after dark yet. There's so many great no. things to do on uh, – there's so many other great podcasts to check out about MCU, <laughs> DC, Star Wars, Star Trek. All of it can be found there. If you want um, – but more than anything, what we love is feedback. Um, the best way to reach me and to kind of reach this podcast and we'll all discuss it is if you go to – theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find uh, our Facebook, our Twitter, our email. Uh, get into conversations with us there. You can also find us on strandedpanda.com, information about our podcasts as well as all the other podcasts that both Ashley and Paul are often parts of can all be found there. Uh, and also the Stranded Panda chat on Facebook is another great place to have these conversations with us because you've heard our mm-hmm. opinions. would love to hear yours. Um, Paul, I know you're creating a lot of content these days. People want to hear more about what you're doing or put in more requests for you to write either um, more hosting or to do more erotic fan fiction of various kinds. Um, <laughs> what? I, I Paul, love, you didn't send me those? I would love Can to read. Your, uh, here's the way, Paul, you need to combine all of it. 
you need to write erotic fan fiction about what's happening at the hotel of the World Series of Poker. That that's my personal uh, request. Um, but anyway, oh my Paul, god, <laughs> I'm I'm working on a poker story, yeah. like the game poker, not like poker. I hardly anyway. know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so Paul, tell us where people can find your stuff so I can finally end this damn podcast. Yeah, you can yeah. find Paul, um, Paul on Pornhub.com. <laughs> That is not true, to the best of my knowledge. Um, but <laughs> I, I do have zenmadman.com, which uh, is, like, by the end of the day, by the time this airs, there's going to be stuff on there again. Um, and, you know, on Twitter, at, like, zenmadman. Not like zenmadman, just at zenmadman. Um, is it theethicalpanda.com, or is it the-ethical-panda.com? Uh, either one will just get to you. clarify. There. Okay, good. Wow. Good. Very good. I just wanted to make sure that that was... The correct link, yep. <laughs> True. Correct link. Yeah, so definitely check out more of Paul's work. Uh, check out uh, Paul and Ashley both on The Stranded Panda. Check out all the other great stuff there. And let us know what you think about all this. And on behalf of all three of us and everyone else in The Stranded Panda group, have a great day. Bye. Bye. No one wants to remember that Jeff will be watching? King Shark is a shark. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>